Hi, and welcome to In Full Flow. I'm Janice, and this is the second half of our Meet Your Podcast co-hosts episode. In the first half of this interview, which is linked in the show notes, my co-host Jessica and I asked each other some fun questions. And in this half, we get a little more serious about what we do and why we started this podcast together. Listen on and you'll hear our answers to these following questions. One, what are some common myths in our respective professions? Jessica is a women's health coach and I am an online business manager. Two, what does it mean for each of us to be in full flow? And three, what do we each love about our cycles? Note, that's menstrual cycles. Now, feel free to multitask and do whatever you do um, while you enjoy the show. Thanks. Hi there, this is Janice and Jessica, and you're listening to In Full Flow, a show about how to find true work-life balance for people who aren't men, because the vast majority of advice out there about how to succeed in business and life is rooted in male biology. So if you were born with female neurology and biology, like ovaries, uteruses, and the female pelvis, or if your body runs on the estrogen-progesterone hormone operating system, usually called the menstrual cycle, or you care about someone who does, this show is for you. All of those tips and tricks about how to be high-achieving, high-performing, and productive while also being fit, healthy, and happy come from systems built by men for men. But women aren't small men, and we need to stop beating ourselves up about that. So if you've ever tried and failed at the latest fitness craze, or even old standby career advice for highly effective people, maybe it's not that you couldn't hack it. Maybe it's that the advice wasn't designed for you. So join us on our journey as we call BS on all the bad advice preached to women based on male biology and unpack the systems of bias and privilege to find the habits, strategies, and mindsets that might actually work for you. And if you like what you hear, join us in our Facebook group to continue the conversation. Enjoy the show. Okay, so I have a question for you. Yes. What is a common myth? about your profession or field that you want to debunk? Common myths. There are, there's one in particular. Well, there's a couple, but the one in particular in the field of virtual assistance, online business management is that a VA is a VA is a VA. And a VA is virtual assistant slash glorified secretary. Um, Since Hmm. we don't have, secretaries so much or admin assistants anymore or to believe that the work of admin assistants is menial work Mm. and that it's below somebody else but as soon as you remove that person I mean they're your operational support as soon as you remove that person you don't have a person in place to do that um that's kind of where uh businesses kind of run amok (laughs) <laughs> or solopreneurs are like, how am I going to do everything? Um, so that's that's the thing. A lot of a lot of VAs have different specialties. You can find a VA that will. I believe you can find a VA that fits your particular business need or your operational need. Um, 
but you have to know what to ask for. You have to know what's going on in your business and how you want it to run. Um, so it has to do with intentionality. <laughs> um, so being intentional about your business and then being aware of your business and how you want it to work. And you can, you can always find support around it. So. so the thing that you said that really jumped out at me was the word operations. Because, yes. of course, I used to work on operations side, or actually I used to work kind of between the sales customer service and the operations side. It's like a go-between. And I hadn't made this connection until you said that. You never hear in business, especially in an industry like I worked in that is the, it was like 60 to 8% male, depending on you were, where you were, no one poo-poos the idea of operations. No. Because it's very gendered and it's usually very considered the male dominated field. Like you have operations. Like what, how are the two ways you succeed in corporate? You either go the sales route or you usually go the operations route. That's where a lot of upper management ends up coming from. And yet admin, admin support, right? Especially since a lot of those roles, like you said, secretary are traditionally gendered female. Right. You know, they were traditionally held by women. Even though it's an operational role, it doesn't get the same respect. Yeah. Like in many places I have worked, the assistant to an upper executive that I was working with, um, who was like a couple of levels above me in like the VP hierarchy, their project management skills, their organizational skills were as good or better than mine. Because some of them also had like significantly more years of experience than I did when mm -hmm. I when I was doing this work. Uh, they'd been with the company for 20, 30 years. They've been doing all these things. And yet they got the admin title and I got the project manager or account manager title. And there were different respect levels for those different titles. Mm -hmm. And there there shouldn't have been. But yeah, that operations thing just really jumped out at me. Yeah, it's it's kind of loaded. <laughs> it is it's the same thing, but it's it's kind of it's it's loaded like when I present as someone who comes from the virtual assistant industry versus coming from an operational support industry, mm -hmm. the who you attract to each of those titles can be entirely different. And mm -hmm. the expectations are somehow, yeah, somehow different for each. If you say you, if you need a VA, then you want somebody who will filter your email who will schedule stuff for you, mm -hmm. who potentially will pick up your dry cleaning, <laughs> sharpen the pencils, make sure there's, the pencils are sharpened for the workshop, mm -hmm. for the in-person workshop. That's, that's what people think of, I mean, of course it's virtual, so they're not going to, they're going to sharpen pencils. Things, yeah. But they will make sure that virtual, that pencils that are sharpened will be, or will arrive at your event. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, is that person operations support? And in a way they are because it does affect how your event is going to turn out. It doesn't happen without that kind of support. Um, and you can't do it all yourself. I mean, that would be another, it's not a myth in my field in particular, but I think it's a myth in a lot of fields and, and professions that, the way you succeed is by doing it all yourself and <clears throat> having um, having support and assistance is a fast way to grow, um, to grow and expand. And I don't like the word success 
so much. <laughs> um, because that can mean a lot of different things to, to whoever you're talking to. But um, finding support to get to where you're, you're wanting to go is um, like, don't, don't balk at it. <laughs> there yeah. are people who would love to support another person. And yeah. it's part of the industry. So that rolls into my next question, and I think I know the answer because you just said support a lot, is what are some specific roadblocks for women to watch out for when building and scaling their businesses? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, like, the whole thing of not doing it alone, Mm -hmm. um, because, I mean, the mythology around it is the Lone Ranger mythology, Um the pull yourself up by your bootstraps exactly all by yourself. yes <laughs> all by yourself and then if you had it doesn't acknowledge the people who helped this person do that so i mean um yeah i mean you can do it by yourself or you can do it by yourself without acknowledging the other people who helped you and you will get so far but support will help you grow mm-hmm. and potentially grow fast it would help you grow faster than doing it alone and it will keep you sane at the same time so if you need sanity and you want to grow support is the way to do that finding finding what you need support with um and having people support you with that the other thing also the other roadblock that i see a lot is it's also mythology that um the only point of having a business is to to do the linear movement straight up to success go to six figures seven figures after you get the seven figures then you go to um that's not the only reason people go into business so finding out your deep why why you have your business and mm-hmm. what you want to grow into what the, where does the business fit in your life and what it means to you um, defining success for yourself, I think, is is important. I know we've talked about how many women have been going into business for themselves. And, like, in many ways, the brain drain, you could argue, that is happening in the corporate culture. And a lot of that is not necessarily because all these women want to work for themselves. It's because corporate culture doesn't allow them to have a work-life balance yeah. that works for them, that, you know, allows for, say, having children, <laughs> Um, or having any other caregiving or, you know, working in your community goals that aren't just strictly get up the corporate ladder as fast as possible and be rewarded for it in specific ways with, like, title and power and money, right? Like, if those aren't your primary motivators, then that's maybe not the work environment for you. So do you feel like that's one of the – when you say finding your why, is is that some of that? That's, that's some of that. That's some of that. And being really honest with, um, being really, really honest with what makes you happy. So it could be more money and tons of money. Um, it could be sanity, Mm -hmm. right? So being able to do, being able to do good work is also another thing. Um, it could be recognition, like being honest about that's what you're really going for. Um, but it's not necessarily and even in a corporate in a corporate structure it's assumed that like i've done this job for 15 years then i autom- i 
I'm expecting to become a manager. But what if you don't like managing people and managing people is not what lights you up? Should you really be a manager? But on the corporate ladder thing, it's assumed that you're going to work this job and the next bit to success is Mm -hmm. to become a manager of things. And then you'll be a manager of people and then you manage more people and more projects. Like it's always more, more, more um, in the corporate sense. And I mean, even in the, traditional business sense um it's more but i think it's important particularly for women owners women business owners that um and women who just want to take control of their corporate career (laughs) Uh, what's important to them to if you're going to chase something um make sure it it means something to you not just what somebody else told you yeah make sure it's the actual answer to what you want. I know we've had this conversation before. We're like, you know, you mentioned the money, get to this figure, this, that there's this myth in our society that more money will automatically bring happiness, right? Even though research demonstrates that past a certain point, that doesn't work, but we have that idea. Like I see that a lot in the health and wellness field. Oh, lose weight is just the solution. Everyone says to everything, it will solve all of your problems. And there's no thought to like, well, is that actually the answer? for everything, for everyone? (laughs) Or is it just what we've been told is the answer? Because then you get the thing that people say you should, and you're like, but I'm not any happier, or I'm not any this, or I'm not any that, whatever it happens to be, because that was just the solution that everyone said was was the answer to your problem or all problems. Yeah. Just because it was that it's expected around Mm -hmm. certain circles doesn't mean that that has to be your expectation. Yeah. So that goes for so many different, <laughs> so many different aspects of life. Um, what is the next question? Oh, why are you so obsessed, Jessica, with helping women not live like small men? Or did you answer <laughs> that already? You kind of did. I, I kind of did. I kind of did. Um, this is your time. Yeah, it kind of, like, it goes along with the, you know, some of the myths. I mean, it's weird because we were both, when we picked these questions, it's like, is there a myth about my profession or field? And it's like, in some ways, no, because I hate to be like, I'm a super special snowflake, but because I don't pick a camp, because I'm not willing to be like, I only deal with West medicine or I only deal with alternative health. Like I kind of end up in the middle, which sometimes makes me not liked by lots of people because I will point out like, hi, did you know medical misogyny is a real thing? And your own data supports it alternative health people I love you but science is also a thing and there's some data that makes some of the things that you're recommending questionable or I just know enough about anatomy to know that that doesn't seem to be logical (laughs) magical thinking is a little too far to my extreme sorry so why why am I obsessed with helping women not live like small men um Part of it is that advocacy thing. I'm perfectly okay with the title of feminist, uh, so I know that might turn some people off. I do know as a white woman, because we really didn't do like our, our our various things at the beginning of who and what we are, but you know, as a white, cis, hetero woman that like I have pretty much all the privileges, and I know that white woman feminism has had some really bad his- historic things, so I struggle with that title. On the other hand, the general belief that women for themselves and for their own unique gifts should be considered on par and equal to men is kind of why I do this. 
So, so much of what we hear in medical literature is based on male biology. Um, what you hear in exercise, like I said earlier about the female pelvis, it's all based on, you know, the male form. If you dig back into any exercise form, including something like yoga, which is more popular with women than it is with men, all of the original yogis are all male. So you have to question if some of the exercises in the way that they're being done is actually safe for female knees and a female pelvis. Um, and so when you just have this base standard that everything is built for male biology and society, then one, you always have to question, will the advice work for you? And I always, I frequently hear from someone or from a client I'm working with, or just when I go out and speak or someone asks you, someone's foolish enough to ask me what I do at a networking event. <laughs> um, wow, I never heard that. I didn't know that. How did I not know that? Um, and so that's, that's why I'm obsessed with it because female biology is a little bit different. And different does not mean less than. Unfortunately, in our society, because the base standard is male biology, the assumption is always that female biology is less than. So this is where you hear things like all of those myths about, myths about PMS, you know, all of those times where a woman was rightfully aggravated by something, usually by a double standard. And then the automatic response is like, oh, are you PMSing? Oh, she must be on the rag. Oh, has Aunt Flo visited? Like all of those stupid juvenile things. And it's amazing how often you feel you find men and even some women who are old enough to know better, who also seem to assume that, you know, you must be irrational. It's that weird thing where men can be aggressive and women can be assertive, but not aggressive. Right. So, so much of the. So what good way to put this? So much of the recognition when you're a woman or you have female biology, so you are treated, treated like a woman, even if you don't identify with that gender or you present as a woman. So often you get treated in particular ways that are not a lot of fun. You're, you're second classes in many ways. And when you push back on that, it almost always gets blamed on your biology. Because, you know, you're that women are just like small men. So therefore, you know, you're supposed to be as quote unquote rational as men, as if men are more rational than women. But that's just a way that it gets talked about. Or um, you're more fragile. You're not as physically strong, which somehow and also equates to not being as emotionally strong. And that's like a huge trend in, in our history. And you still see the, the three point today. But it always comes back down to the biology of women and and female biology. But when you actually understand female biology, you can be like, no, that makes absolutely no sense. That is based on assumptions that are not accurate. Um that is based on assumptions that are untrue. Like, I really love when folks say things like grab him by the balls or he's got balls or things like that. And I'm like, so, um, you know, those things that, like, if you breathe hard at them or accidentally bump them that make you curl up in a ball and scream on the floor, those I'm supposed to be impressed by. But, like, women actually being able to carry a baby to term and actually give birth, that's not more impressive to you. Like, if we're really going to start comparing biology on who's more impressive and who can withstand more pain, I'm going for the female biology, like, hands down. <laughs> but, you know, the, and yeah, it's just that underlying in everything that because you have female biology, you must be less than, less than. 
And that is our excuse in society for why you're being treated that way. And it has a real long historical tradition. Um, and it's a, this incestuous thing that rolls into it because you get arguments for like, oh, well, women are less strong physically. So that must be they more fragile this way. And they're delicate and there's these and it's unladylike because, yeah, it all just feeds on itself. Um, but it all really comes back to this fundamental idea of just assuming that women should live like small versions of men, that that is appropriate, that that is the better way to live, that your biology doesn't matter, even if it's different. And if it is different, it just makes you irrational. It makes you not like small men <laughs> and therefore defective. <laughs> yeah. that's. <sighs> it's the defective part that really gets me. It's one thing <laughs> if we acknowledge that we have biological differences. It's that underlying impression and consistent treatment of women because they have, they are in some ways biologically different from men as defective or less than or whatever negative term you want to put on it. <sighs> That's my really long-winded rant. I've got lots of them. I have tons of soapbox speeches. We'll, we'll be sure to include one every yeah. time. <laughs> one an episode, Jessica's soapbox speech. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, so... I know we need to wrap this up soon, so I'm going to ask you, because I know we struggled to come up with a name for this podcast, mm -hmm. what does being in full flow mean to you? In full flow. In full flow means to me, and I know this is going to be kind of a, a, when when a person is in full flow, right, um, to me, it's it's effectiveness. You're being effective and optimized. <laughs> and I know these are like uh, operational all the, terms, all the operational terms. Um, but we are most, we are most effective and most ourselves basically expressing best in the world. In my opinion, when we are accepting of ourselves such that we can build systems or adapt systems that work for exactly that make the work and how we work go into full full expression in the world. So there's a sense of not being depleted mm -hmm. um, by doing good work in the world, feeling that our work is meaningful um, and and has value in mm -hmm. in the world. Um, so like being in full expression of of our true gifts and skills um, without it. Uh, without it in a way without it causing harm to us mm -hmm. because because we have our own systems in place to make that possible yeah how about you what does being in full flow mean to you um i mean obviously i i love i love me some biology i love biology so there's the obvious like do you hate your period or not if you are someone who cycles um, or hate your hormones or, you know, have a negative experience every month. And, you know, so there's obviously that kind of full flow. That's kind of idea of flow, which we played around with. Um, but also with yours is that I think of flow and I also think of the menstrual cycle as like riding a wave. Right. So you want to not feel like you're strapped in a roller coaster. You want to feel like you're a surfer riding that wave. 
And life comes at you and you can see it coming and you can dodge and you can move. And like you talked about systems, but, you know, same thing. You have life habits that help you through challenging times. You have the community and the structure and the support, whether it's family or friends or, you know, biological family or family of the heart, whatever it happens to be. You have all those things around you to get through life. And, yeah, I mean, I... I love biology, but I also really get frustrated when it only gets talked about, like that the mental and emotional and spiritual, like the whole woman, you know, that mind, body, spirit aspect doesn't get addressed, um, that we just talk about in health coaching, this one medical issue, and it doesn't, you know, one of the questions isn't always like, how is that playing out in your life? You know, what's more important to you right now? the symptoms you're feeling or the way it's affecting your family. Sometimes, because we talked earlier about motivators, sometimes one motivator is the exterior motivator, the family motivator may be the more driving one. And I have no value judgment on that. I just need to know what it is that is driving you and what it is that will help you change and what it is that you want to change. So for me, it's that idea of like surfing the wave, like life is going to happen and I have a toolkit and I have support and I have the ability to do that. And some of that is some biological knowledge. Um, if you have female biology and also understanding like what it means to live in a patriarchy, which is a whole other conversation that we will be having a lot of, um, so that I can play the system that I'm in because I wish I had a magic wand. I wish I could change the way that women are treated in the society. I wish I could change the way that women are treated everywhere all over the world. Uh, and I continue to like view this educational thing at like a podcast as a way to do that. But I also want to leave the individual person with things they can do, how they can make the system work for them. And so part of that for me is in full flow. It's, understanding the landscape you're on and how to navigate it in a way that doesn't deplete your body, doesn't leave you stressed out and burned out, you know, feels self-sustaining versus go 100% and then drop at the end because you burnt yourself out, which I have done. I think many have done. Yeah. Yeah. I, I believe that's a modern epidemic for everyone of every gender, but I also recognize that for folks who identify as women, for folks who are female, that there are extra societal expectations, um, like a lot of the emotional labor in the communities and groups they're in that lead them towards burnout in ways that maybe doesn't happen to the men around them. So, yeah. <laughs> Short, short answer, right? Short, short answer. That was short. <laughs> Talking about being in full flow, what do we love? What do we love about our cycles? Um, yes. There are many things I love now. <laughs> there are many things I didn't love at different parts of my life. So yes. let's let's understand that I'm talking about this like, after I've gone on my own journey. Yeah, that's how I started in this work was my own hormonal issues. Um, I love what I love about my cycle, and I mean menstrual cycle, for anyone who's wondering if that was a euphemism, um, is how much it reminds me when I'm actually paying attention, which I try to, but I fail to, is it keeps me grounded. It keeps reminding me of the things I need to do to be to be happy and healthy. And 
if you think of your menstrual cycle, as I do, as kind of like a monthly checkup, it reminds me real quickly when I have not been taking care of myself, um, when I have not been sleeping well, when I have been stressing out and, you know, what I could be doing better to, to feel better. Um, yeah. Yeah. We were talking earlier about carrots and sticks. I think sometimes my period is the stick that reminds me about like, oh, nope, nope. You have not been doing the things that make you happy. Because it's so much easier to sacrifice the things that make you happy for other people because you love them and you care for them. And that's a message that we get a lot in society. So, yeah, it's my little stick sometimes. (laughs) I love about the stick, how the stick, um, and if we didn't get it this month, we'll show it to you again next month. (laughs) It's like it's a very iterative. This is what I love about it. It's an iterative, iterative learning process. Mm -hmm. So even whatever level of awareness you are around your menstrual cycle now, um, and you want to be more aware, like maybe you're just finding out that like, oh, yeah, there are things that I could love about it. It could be something that we love. One of the things is that every month you, you get to, you get to learn yourself a little better. I get to learn about myself a little better mm-hmm. about how my how my body works, what my body needs, and where I am fulfilling <laughs> fulfilling the need or not fulfilling my needs, um, or recognizing like oh I didn't know that I need that like on an emotional level mm-hmm. right different times of the month. Also because I tend to be very introverted there is like a week or two there's like a 10-day spot in there that I'm very social Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I like having a spot where like I can put all the social things and not (laughs) feel like a total dork and I was like totally happy about it yeah and still have three-fourths of a month that I was like I can be happy being myself by myself yeah I can be happy being super introverted and I will be a little less introverted at that other time. Yes. And I can, I can also like shuffle all these social and job obligations over there and actually not like hate them. <laughs> yes, exactly. We will talk so much more about yeah. this. Although yes. I was going to say, cause the stick makes it sound really, really kind of like mean. Um, I was going <laughs> to say as an example, um, one of the things I love about like getting my period right around it actually is, my BS meter, the, the mm. areas in my life where things have been bothering me and I've kind of let them roll off my back and now I don't have the patience for it. And that's my BS meter kicking in. And, yes. you know, that sometimes causes conflict for lots of folks because they think, why am I angry? Why am I ra- irrational? And, you know, my response is always like, well, this probably irritated you before, but now hormones are not giving you any soothing. They're like, no. So, Yeah, when I learned that, when I learned that this could be beneficial, that I could, like, use this as a way to really see what was irritating me in my life, what was not serving me, um, especially if it happened over and over again. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. Because, again, like, that idea of aggression versus assertive and that idea of, like, having boundaries, like, this has been the key for me learning boundaries. Yeah. Because every every month, like clockwork, if there is a boundary that has been unclear in my life, that has been kind of maybe irritating me or I haven't been saying firmly, I will just like, oh, yep, hello. <laughs> 
this is the boundary I need for my long-term mental and emotional and possibly physical health. But, like, this is the boundary that I need, apparently. And I've not been keeping it. Got it. That is the best. That is a good week, especially for people who like to learn and collect data points. <laughs> you mean like us? <laughs> I think that's why we, why why we, we like do. that so much. Yeah. It also gives me some sort of peace knowing that, like, okay, you didn't clean that up. You had three weeks to do it, and now you're mad about it. <laughs> We're going to give you another three weeks. See you in a month. Hope you yeah. get it right this time. <laughs> get but a little I, closer. Get a little closer. Yeah, that's the part I like. It's constantly reiterative. Yeah. You can get a little closer every month. You can see it a little bit more. You can see incremental change. You can do these things. It's not – I mean, I love project management because at the end, there was – in the industry I was in, there was a goal, there was something accomplished. And then we could assess, was it, did we have to do a post moratorium and like what went wrong? Or did a lot of things go right? And we just need to repeat that process the next time. And that ability of like almost hitting the reset, like seeing this moment in time, knowing it's not forever, but being able to be like, oh, okay, what do I do slightly differently next? Rather than having, you know, these long-term goals. I mean, it's like on the interview questions, what is your five-year plan? What is your 10-year plan? I'm like, it's 10 years away. I don't know. I can't be the only one who's ever been like, what answer will I kind of BS my way through? Because how many people really have a, like, well-thought-out five-year plan? Like, five years is a long time. A lot can change. You could move, you could get married, you could um, have a child, you could like, there are so many things you could do in five years and you want me, I'm just going to guess. Like, I hope you know that what I'm saying is kind of a guess. But if you asked me, like, what am I going to try next month? What am I going to try maybe three months from now? Like, what are the things I'm currently working towards? Those are like actionable things I can actually talk about. I mean, sure, I have some general goals in five years. You know, I have some big things I'd like to do, but, you know, those are like landmarks on the road, not like things I could actually talk about and feel like I was not lying to you, that I was for sure going to do this in five years. <laughs> that, that the goals I have now are for sure the same in five years. Like that, that's not real to me, at least for humans. <laughs> okay, last question. Last question. Yeah, actually, I, this is maybe a good question we can both ask. Okay. Because the whole podcast is about work-life balance. So I guess maybe what does work-life balance mean to you? Or like, what are you, what, what are you, where are you challenged with it? How about that? Where oh. are you challenged with work-life balance? That's good. It proves that I'm still human. Yes. Because um. <laughs> I am very human and very fallible. So I have many challenges. <laughs> work-life balance. Um, my biggest challenge, and it has historically been a challenge for me, is boundary, boundary enforcing. I've gotten better around being aware of when something bothers me now, mm-hmm. but actually finding ways to, to enforce, to enforce boundaries when I, once I recognize, I'm like, mm, we can't do that the same way <laughs> next time. So those are my challenge. We don't need to go out and get into it. I'm sure we will later. I'm so. sure we will. <laughs> and you? Challenges in work-life balance? Yeah, current challenges challenge. in work-life balance. I think some of them are similar to everyone is, you know, 2020 into 2021, what is the new normal going to be? So, you know, 
business-wise, I used to work in person with clients, and I stopped doing that because of a variety of reasons, including, like, having family members that were at high risk and also working with clients, you know, uh, folks who were trying to get pregnant, folks who were pregnant, folks who were postpartum and therefore had newborns around, who were incredibly at risk. Um, and I don't know, because I was just having this conversation with someone. They asked me, like, when are you going to start working in person with clients again? I don't know if I am like not it, it ever, honestly, I, I, and I've been struggling with that um, because of course that is a different, I, I put it in the work life balance because that's a very different work mode. You know, when I'm seeing people and I have like office hours versus like working from home. And part of it is that like, I did not realize how much other things I could do. I could not do probably this podcast if I had really set office hours because it, just like the commute time and a lot of the other things just add up. Um, You know, it's very different if someone cancels on an appointment because they're a pregnant person who is late in the third trimester and their ride is not able to come uh, versus I'm not canceling because now we're just doing it over zoom. (laughs) So that's not, that's not a logistical issue, um, you know, versus all of those things. So I did not realize that that might be the like, benefit for work balance for me for 2020, the silver lining, if there is any, is that it freed up a lot of time to really go back and study some more things and consider doing a podcast for you and like with you and like gave me a lot of freedom to generate content and freedom to work on the education aspect that I wasn't, I didn't have because I had all of this logistics of office hours versus not office hours. Um, and yet there's a part of me that loves working one-on-one in person. Like that can, that kinesthetic thing, I like just being in a person's presence. And I don't know if when I have a new normal and I can actually just go be in other people's presences, whether I'm working with them, if that will be enough, like I'm an introvert and I did not realize until like, Oh, somewhere around month five or six, how much I actually did need contact with people (laughs) in person. Even though I'm introverted. So, yeah, finding that new balance and figuring out, um, I don't think I will be working with clients in person for now, definitely because of, like, the same concerns about patient population, how vaccination doesn't cover those groups, um, definitely for a while, because I still am concerned about the safety of everyone. And even after that, I don't know if it will go back. And I don't yet know, like, what that balance for me will be because I, I do need more. I'm an introvert, but I do really desperately want to go out and see new people. <laughs> so bad. Um, so that will be finding, that will be finding new work, a new work-life balance because I've also had some habits where, again, I think this is something everyone struggled with is, oh yeah, sure. I had, that idea came to me. So why don't I write until three in the morning and then I'm wrecked the next day, yeah. right? Like, or, oh, you know, I don't have a client I'm on a Zoom call until this, so I could do that. And some of it's great. Some of the flexibility is great. In other instances, I'm like, no, you need to not work on the weekends, Jessica. Just because you can, you need to put some boundaries. No, you you need to put some clear boundaries as like, when will you answer emails? When will you answer texts? When will you do these things? Because we're all stuck at home. So, yeah, technically you could answer it at any time. But Let's not continue to make that mistake, especially when it makes us grouchy and cranky and <laughs> not get the sleep we should. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. As someone who is not an early bird, you know, not was a lark, I think it is. And yeah. someone who's not a night owl, who's kind of in the middle, but was raised by a complete night owl and a complete lark. Um, I'm good if I'm on a regular sleep schedule. And that was a challenge of 2020. And I think, again, as long as I continue to not have like those outside engagements I have to go to, that will always be a challenge in this new work way of like, what are my boundaries and how clearly am I keeping them? <laughs> hey, boundaries. We both have boundaries. In pr- hey, in, I think everyone boundaries in, pr- in common. Everybody does. It's the, it's the source of everything. Yes. <laughs> All right. That wraps up our co-host interview. Thanks for being such an inter- a great interviewer and interviewee, <laughs> Jessica. Uh, if you listen to our intro, we started doing this because in 2020, we were accountability partners and in a program. And then that quickly came into like two-hour jam sessions on all the things. You haven't noticed certain words like systems and habits and things like that really make us very ha- both very happy. So we will be talking about a lot of those in the near future. Thank you for listening to In Full Flow. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and share our podcast with a friend to get the word out about how we can stop living life like small men and start living life in full flow. And don't forget to join us over in the In Full Flow Facebook group to continue the conversation. Thank you.